1: Get
0: 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week's episode
1: of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Lance Bass Pro Shops. No matter what time of year it is, whether it's already August or it's going to be May, we've got exactly what you need to shed that squeaky clean boy band image. You too can become a rugged outdoorsman with no strings attached. It ain't no lie, both your wardrobe and your tackle box can be fly, fly, fly. So if somebody's tearing up your yurt, stop into a Lance Bass Pro Shop today. Come visit any of our five locations with our newest store located between 98 Degrees HVAC and Boys to Men's Warehouse. Lance Bass Pro Shops, get in sync with the outdoors. Patent pending. 51,000 plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. One. fly ball deep left center, them on the run. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. The yeah. yes. oh, Atlanta Braves yeah. have given you a 25 lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know i got to get paid. High fly ball, Back to right center, Five lighters on my dressing, son, yes, son, you know i got to get paid. Swing and drive! Melton tonight. welcome to the show! I 25 lighters for my 25 folks.
0: Gonna break the bank, fire. Now get ready. This is the
1: Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair All-Americans and our friends at MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the nation's number one online gambling center. If you like to have a little bit of fun with your sports in your life, MyBookie.ag is the place to go. They've got all the top lines, all the best makers of those lines, so you can make sure that you're getting the most up-to-date scores, most up-to-date money lines on the market and if you have any questions about how anything works or how a particular money line should be uh, should be described or, or what it means, mybookie.ag's customer service cannot be beaten. They are the number one in the business. They answer quick. They're great to talk to. They make everything so easy. If you like to bet baseball, uh, the NBA finals. If you want to throw some money in the Toronto Raptors, doesn't seem like a bad bet right now. Uh, if you if you bet boxing, if you would bet ruiz over anthony joshua you made a pretty penny if you'd gone to mybookie.ag you'd have been able to see that line just go to mybookie.ag use our promo code braves25 and they're going to give you a 50 percent match on your initial deposit which means if you throw in a hundred dollars when you first sign up they'll give you another 50 bucks and you can make even more money for free mybookie.ag is the number one place to go remember promo code braves25 All right. Really happy to bring you the show this week. You guys have obviously been paying attention uh, to either one of our Twitter accounts. You've seen that the MLB draft just concluded. We know that not all of you are into the MLB draft, so we're going to save that for the second segment where we're going to bring on an incredible guest, uh, one of our favorite guys to talk to and really one of the the rising stars in uh, MLB coverage. Uh, That'll be coming up in the second segment of the show, complete with all of the draft talk you will need for this 2019 season. But for this first segment, we're going to focus on the Major League Club. Uh, unfortunately, I hate to say this, Max Freed is now up to three bad starts in a row. Uh, this past start, the first two innings of which were the worst I've seen Max Freed pitch since that debacle in L.A. He did pick it up later on in that, in that outing, but uh, Doc for, for these last three starts, he just has not looked the same
3: he really hasn't and and it's, it's so bizarre for him for for his lights out as he was you know and and you can't ever point to, to something and say oh he's bound to regress even even if he is because people take it as you're being incredibly negative but some of the the luster was was bound to wear off i suppose but it's still it's still early in the season i, I don't think it's any anything to panic about and he still showed flashes a little bit just missing up some missing missing away a little bit so you know he's fine. It's it's kind of magnified when for as good as the starters were for a couple of weeks. It's not it's not just freed that's kind of taking that step back. He he was like old reliable. Even Soroka even Soroka gave up three runs in a start the other day, and I got kind of indignant about it.
2: <laughs> I mean it, it, it's I'm still perfectly confident in Max. I think he's going to be fine. It was a weird outing for him. He was getting to two outs like right away. But for whatever weird baseball god humor was going on, Pittsburgh couldn't hit unless they had two outs and two strikes, and then all of a sudden they were hitting machines. It it was just an odd game for Max. His curveball wasn't quite as sharp as it normally was. It was better than it was his previous two, so that was something they could be excited about. The Pirates, if you look at them, they really hit lefties well, and they really, really mash curveballs, so it might not have been an optimal Max Freed start anyway. I'm not worried, although I do think he might get some extra rest here coming up soon. I don't think it'll be an IL stint, but you may see them. If Snicker can bring himself to be a little bit more new age, you could see him copy the Andy Green model and kind of skip a start the same way they've been doing with Paddock and Lucchesi and Lauer. Uh, and Strom to, to try to keep everybody as fresh as possible without racking up all those innings. I don't think it would be a bad idea. I'm not worried about him. Soroka's numbers, uh, we've looked into them before. When We looked into his Sierra. A lot of those numbers were were going to show you that he wasn't going to to be a sub-1 ERA all season, obviously. Uh, and anytime that you give up a lot of contact, that's bound to happen. You're bound to have starts like that. But Soroka's absolutely fine. He's still the best pitcher on this staff. The more... Pressing concern is Kevin Gosman, who went out last night and got wrecked yet again.
3: Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on with him. Between the first, well, the the one inning plus that he managed to struggle through against Washington, and the first two innings of the Pittsburgh uh, game at, uh, see, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, so that we'll say that was Wednesday night. um, He gave up thirteen runs, and you know he he turned it around a little bit. He looked. A little bit better uh, for innings three through five, I guess. But if this team is trying to realistically make make a playoff run, either he needs to figure something out, or the front office needs to do something. It's and and he Kevin Gossman is not a bad starter. He just he needs to lean on the slider a little bit more because that when the splitter is not working, then you can just sit fastball. You have to be able to to. Do something else, you know, and and if the if the fastball and the splitter aren't working, then it's just Meatball City, which you kind of wound up seeing last night in the second inning.
2: And I, I've talked about this with guys like Gosman before. When your best pitch is a drop pitch, like a splitter or a sinker, you have to have another pitch that's at least on par or right below par with it, like a slider or a curveball uh, or or a cutter, something that can that can draw hitters away where they're not sitting on that particular drop. And with Gosman's splitter, it's not a Shohei Otani where he throws it like 89 to 92. Gosman throws it anywhere from about 82 to 85 max. So it's basically the speed of his changeup. And if you already know the drop and you know that that's his go-to pitch, he's got to start splitting something up. It's no different than the Shelby Miller thing. And the reason why I used to tell you, Doc, why, why I did not like McDowell why he'd teach a, a a pitcher a sinker, and then that's all he'd go to, and all of a sudden the second and third year those pitchers would get wrecked. Gosman's got to find a different pitch to lean on, and some of he, these traditional splitter counts for him.
3: Yeah, and and he does have other pitches in his arsenal, and you know we've we've all talked about the Mike Fast influence. I can't help but think the fact that he's leaning so heavily on these two pitches do have something to do with that, but you'd figure at this point whatever analytics have been generated over the past couple of starts of telling him that he really needs to reincorporate something else. And Gosman is historically a second half guy. You know, he's like the Ender arte of the pitching staff, which kind of doesn't really bode well for Gosman on a number of counts. I don't I don't really think Gossman goes around blocking people, but if people keep tweeting him, uh, you know, then then maybe he will. But uh but yeah, man, I, it's it's I tend to not panic about these types of things, but there is no part of me that feels comfortable trotting him out for, for yet another start. It just
2: seems kind of odd because at this point, everybody would have expected we'd be talking about Julio Tehron is obviously the guy to upgrade. Well, Julio's been <laughs> really good lately. Uh, his his month of May, his surface numbers were really good. Now, his FIP was still not good, and the rest of his, his Sierra was still not good, but the results were exactly what you're hoping for out of Julio. Julio is typically a guy that somehow defies all expectations. It's weird to say, but at this point, he's probably pitching he might have pitched the best on the staff right up there with Soroka.
3: You know, and, and Soroka Soroka's like a surgeon, you know what I mean? And and Freed's like a chemist. And is just a magician. You know, nobody nobody knows how Julio's doing what he's doing, but he's made an entire career of outpitching those peripherals. And the walks are still higher than you like, and you you want the velocity to be a little bit higher, but that's kind of who he is right now. And if he's able to do it while he's topping out at 91, 92, I mean, good on him. He's had to make a lot of adjustments, and he's he's got that swagger. He's got his swagger back, and it's I think that's the, the biggest thing. I don't know if it's any particular uh, mechanical thing that he's done. You know, there was talk coming into the season that he'd put on some some muscle in his legs, and, and uh, he'd done some work there, but I, I think that he's just he knows that he can get guys out without having his best stuff. And he kind of hasn't had his best stuff in like two, three years. But now he's finally able to get over that mental hurdle and say, I don't care if I'm topping out at 91, 92. Like, I'm going to get you out. Not just I can, but I'm going to.
2: And it's good to see from him, and it's been needed. But obviously, whenever you talk about uh, starters and replacing a starter the one name that's going to continually come up until he signs with somebody else is going to be Dallas Keikel and now that the draft is over with you're not going to have to forfeit that pick or that money the prorated salary for this year remember Keichel would be getting 17.9 million had he signed at the beginning of this year because that was the qualifying offer uh, should should somebody sign him for the rest of this year you'd be looking at roughly 11.5 million dollars uh, that that seems like a lot of money, particularly for a guy like Keuchel that I'm not really interested in anyway. But the Braves, at this point, while being seen as front runners in the Keuchel sweepstakes, so to speak, depending on who you talk to, I believe it was John Morosi said that uh, the Braves were were front runners in that sweepstakes. While Dob refutes it, it does I, it doesn't look like the Braves want to pay that eleven and a half million for Keikel this season.
3: I have to wonder if Gosman's last two starts are going to kind of make them reevaluate things. You know, Kim, Kimbrell just signed with, with the Cubs, but, and that took a lot of reevaluation and backtracking on, on the Cubs part. And, and I think it would be a similar thing to Atlanta. Now, the, the biggest difference with, with Keuchel is, you know, you look at a guy like Gosman, Gosman's making nine million dollars, and he's very much underperforming and if you're going to wind up paying Dallas Keuchel you're going to wind up paying him for the last 4 months of the season more than you're paying an underperforming Gosman for the entire season and because he's had no spring training yeah I know he's been pitching simulated games but they're only simulated games you know it's not it's different when you're on the mound in front of 30 40,000 people so I, I i kind of get the reluctance cuz there's there's no guarantee that he's going to step in and and be able to to really do what everybody is hoping that he can do. That said, he still would wind up being an upgrade. I Man, from from what the Braves are currently at this out.
2: point, most people would be an upgrade from what you're seeing from Gosman. The the thing that's kind of going under the radar is it takes a lot longer for a starter to get game ready than a reliever. So you just mentioned Craig Kimbrell signing with the Cubs. We'll talk about that in a second. But but still, in the Keuchel thing, he's not going to be ready until probably. The beginning to the middle of July, uh, at which point you start to run in your head, would it not be? Would it be more beneficial to just wait for the trade deadlines? Remember, there's only one trade deadline this year. There's no August waiver wire. It's just July 31st. Whatever you do has to be done by then. So, with, with some of the starters that are going to be in the market, guys like Madison Bumgarner, uh, maybe some guys like Matt Boyd, maybe a Mike Miner if Texas begins to uh, crash a little bit. Maybe even a Trevor Bauer if the Indians continue to topple. There should be some interesting names on the trade market. Do the Braves just kind of keep the $11.5 million and wait till the trade deadline for a guy that, quite honestly, I would probably feel better than Keichel anyway? Or do you save the prospect capital and say, since we all got $52.5 million extra this year from the Disney sale, to use some of it?
3: It's hard to know to know which way. I mean the front office has shown a lot of reluctance to, to spend any capital whether whether it's prospects uh, or in actual cold hard money. so you it would make more sense at this point to to move some of these prospects as a because at least let's let's just use Matt Boyd as an example. Um, Boyd is performing this year you know and, and he's doing it against the AL Central you know primarily. So th- that's not the the most robust of competition, but it's it's still better than than what Keuchel is seeing. And so th- there's prospects that are in there, even even some of these guys that have just recently graduated from the lists. You know, we'll use Tuki as an example. I'm I'm not suggesting that we trade Tuki, but he's an example. He's still a prospect, but he's just barely fallen off the back of these lists. You can still make a case where you should trade those guys for somebody who's a little bit more of a proven commodity right now, as opposed to Keuchel, who. There's nothing saying that he's not going to show up and and pitch like Gossman. So, um, but that's a lot of money left over. That really, that really is just a lot of money left over. Why why aren't they spending spending that, Dylan?
2: You're opening up a can of worms here. Um, for the Brave segment that is disgruntled with the front office and, for lack of a better word, how cheap they've been. Uh, it's it's just going to go back to screaming. And Gay Burns had a tweet talking about the. Uh, uh, somebody asked him why he hadn't interviewed Alex yet, and he said Alex has done a ton of interviews, uh, and everybody's asked about it. Uh, everybody knows my feelings on it. They promised to spend money, and they haven't. So there's nothing really else to say. I think that uh, if if they were to hold on to that 52 and a half million, even if the rest of baseball, aside from the Cubs, did as well, that would just be a bad optic for the front office. So. On the other hand, you don't want your your front office making moves just for the PR move, and that way lies being the Mets and having Tim Tebow in your system. Uh, There's a fine line that you got to walk. At some point, they're going to have to make some sort of move. If they don't make any sort of move and Gosman continues the way he is, there's going to be some hell to pay.
3: Well, and you know, if you own a baseball team, you know whether you're a corporation or you're an individual, y-
0: you generated,
3: <laughs> you were able to get all that money by by making kind of smart investments, right? Like, and and no fan really wants to hear this, but from the, like from a sheer business model, like if somebody gives you fifty two million dollars, you keep it, you know. But but there there's more at stake that you know. This is not just a traditional business, you know what I mean? Like, there's, there are people that are really invested in this. And so, at a certain point, it, I don't think that they need to go out and, and spend just for the sake of spending, which some people really do think that is what they need to be doing. I don't necessarily think that. But it is going to take some level of, not just a PR move, but some way to engender goodwill among the, among the fans. Because even the most optimistic of us are still kind of going, like, guys, it is... It is time to spend some money. You know the, the division is wide open. Even for the fact that they they haven't um, they didn't really spend a ton of money, and the bullpen has struggled as much as it has. I mean, we're still within striking distance. You know, we're a game and a half behind the Phillies. And if you take out the very first season of uh, excuse me, the first series of the season, which is against Philly, the Braves have been playing better than the Phillies have all season. So there's a real opportunity there. But uh, it's just going to take them kind of loosening the grip a little bit on whatever currency that uh, that they plan on. And since
2: we're a well balanced, we're such a well-balanced show, you just gave the positive half. I'm going to give the negative half of that outlook just because. Because I like picturing the steam coming out of your ears. Uh, you just mentioned that the Braves are, even with the bullpen being as bad as it is and them not fixing it in the offseason, that they're within striking distance. Um, to put that another way, the way that uh, some people may like to put it, imagine if they had upgraded the bullpen, that you would already be in control of the division. Uh, That if you had bothered to get off and, and do, frankly, what you promised everybody you were going to do, then you would already be in front of the division. Now, that's not to say that that's my take. I'm just telling you the other side of that optic, which is why you shouldn't ever be dumb enough to promise that you're going to spend money if you're not going to spend money. That's why the Phillies... like. We talked in the offseason with uh, with John stolness uh, of the of the good fight um, about how the, the term spending stupid money might not have been the smartest thing for a GM to say or for an owner to say, but they did actually follow through with it. So the Braves are going to be in this weird spot where either way, if they're smart and they don't spend any money or if they decide that they don't like any of the deals and they do nothing, they're going to get hammered for it. Uh, by especially because you're running out of, of places to kick that – you're running out of a road to kick that can down. Because it was before, it was just wait until the off season and Then it was, well, there's nothing to say that you can't trade before the deadline. And then it was just wait until the trade deadline. And, well, after the trade deadline, that's it. Like there's no second deadline. So I'm going to have my eye – I'm really going to be paying attention here to these next two months
3: for sure and and i think that with with the fact they eliminated that that trade deadline which was a great idea cuz th- just explaining the rules to somebody that doesn't know baseball like well there's a trade deadline but then there's a deadline after the deadline like ken rosenthal made the point when they revoked it he said if you were m- making up baseball today if you were inventing the game today this is the one rule that you would never ever go with cuz it doesn't make any sense so i like the idea of the of just the one drop dead deadline but i think that because you have so much of a disparity between the haves and the have nots in baseball, like I I think that there, there is a real opportunity to go ahead and be aggressive early. The teams that are kind of in a similar position to the Braves uh, teams that are like almost good enough, but still need some help. We'll take a team like the Cardinals or a team like the Brewers, which are right on the precipice of of being great, but they need some help. Um, I think that those teams are going to need to go out and they're going to really need to, get ahead of the market. Like you can you can set the market if you play it the right way. And uh I mean what do you think? Do you think that they're gonna kinda the teams are gonna kind of wait till it gets closer to the deadline or do you think that somebody's gonna just go out and basically do what the Indians did last year and go out and get Brad Hand and Adam Simber like before anybody else is doing anything?
2: I think what you brought up is a good point. It's it's gonna be a very interesting piece of this new deadline thing. Because before it was you didn't have to act first because everybody gets put on waivers in August. Well, now that there's one deadline, I would imagine, especially because this is the first year of it, that you might be better served being more aggressive than in previous years. Because I think just more teams in general are going to be aggressive about it. Just because it's, what, two... It's, almost, it's a month less time at least that you have to actually put these things together. So I think it would be a good idea to set the market because there is an inherent risk if you let a team – like say the Brewers who we all know are really weak in starting pitching. Say they, they pay the large sum that it would take for Madison Bumgarner. Say they even overpay a little bit because they think that with Bumgarner they could win a World Series. Now as a as as the Braves front office, you've kind of screwed yourself because now the starting pitching market would be set a lot higher than it would have been had you set the market first on somebody else.
3: That's true. And and with as many prospects as the Braves have, whether still on top 30s or, or just graduated, like I was kind of talking about, I feel like during the the Real Muto sweepstakes in the offseason and for any other teams that were Braves were looking at dealing with they're they're just licking their chops at, at all the prospects saying like "Ooh, we want this guy this guy and this guy you know they're charging a premium because you have such a great farm system so if the Braves lay back too much that could really really play against them it could really wind up you know it is at a certain point like and, and I'm not trying to get into you know the value tank for this guy or that guy or whatever because because you know Kyle Wright's had some bad starts but he could rattle off three or four in a row and you go like, oh he's back he's fine you know what I mean but at a certain point, like we've talked before, there's not, there's not room for everybody. And so you kind of clear the logjam a little bit. You know, there's, there's still tons of prospects in the system. You can, you can really make an impact move on the big league club. And we'll say this. For the lack of trading, you know, and and the lack of big moves, I certainly understand frustration and, and I I like the big moves too. You know what I mean? But I'm I'm attached to prospects, but I like to, I like to see the big stuff happen. Anthopolis has made a good point before about kind of what it does to the team having that midseason acquisition, like a big splash type, you know, what it does for morale, because that's kind of when it counts. You know, in the off-season, it's it's great to to make a signing like a Josh Donaldson. But like when you're in the playoff hunt and it's like, okay, we're committed to do this we're taking the step now. And then like that momentum can help buoy you through the end of the, the regular season and well into the playoffs. So I do like the idea of adding at the deadline, even if there is going to be a little bit more of a premium for some of the big guys. But um, I've got a piece coming out tomorrow, talking about some of the, the bullpen uh, options that are, that are going to be out there. And there are some really good ones. You know, the, uh, the giants get kicked around a lot as, as a team that's got some relievers that can help, but they're, they're not the only ones there. There are some, really, really interesting relievers out there. So uh, that will be published at TalkingChop.com, Friday, June the 7th. So be on the lookout for that, and we can talk about it.
2: Be excited to to see that one because there's. I think the bullpen is still what everybody wants to upgrade. Uh, I should also mention, if you guys pay attention to my Twitter, you saw my newest piece. I am now writing for BravesJournal.us. Highly recommend that you guys follow them. They're a really fantastic blog site, uh, a lot of really good pieces. Ryan Cothran, formerly of Walk Off Walk, and I are uh, now on the Braves Journal thing. I just put out a piece about Austin Riley and the changes he's made this year uh, and, and what type of dividends those are paying off. But you brought up the Craig Kimbrell thing, and I do want to touch on that for just a minute because it seems like there's there's been that Kimbrell cloud hanging over this team for really about the last two months of last season coming all the way through. Uh, now that he signs with the Cubs and the Cubs give him a three-year, $45 million deal reportedly, uh, there's a lot of people upset that he's not a brave. Um, Doc and I did both predict that he would sign with the Cubs. Now, all through the season, I thought for sure that that he would be a brave. But at three years, it's a little bit different. And it does sound the Braves were very interested and they were fine with the price tag. They were not okay with the three years and – Even though I think you absolutely need to upgrade your bullpen, I kind of agree with not giving him three years.
3: Me too, and and it's it's easy to to look at it and be mad at the Braves for not doing that. But you will also notice that the Cubs were the only team that that were able or that were willing to go three years. You know, I had read a lot about uh, Kimbrel being a priority for the Twins. But they, and the Twins are like the best team in baseball right now, and they have real incentive to make make that upgrade, but they weren't willing to go three years. No no team was willing to do that. And the Red Sox, who at no point in this process would they have ever had to have given up a draft pick, they made real clear early on, like, nope, we don't want anything to do with this. And th- and that that's really kind of telling. So, you know, we all love Craig Kimbrell, and it, God knows he, he would help the bullpen, but we talk a lot about past performance versus future performance and there, there is no denying that Craig Kimbrell is one of the, the greatest closers uh, to ever play major league baseball, but there's no guarantee that he's going to show up and not be who he was in the second half of last season. Cause he was, it's not that he just wasn't vintage Kimbrel at the end of last year. Like he was kind of outright bad, you know, And that, and that's not to say that he's going to repeat that either, but, when you're you have questions about what he's going to do this year, those questions compound for 2020. And when you're looking at the third year, when you compound 2021, you know there's no guarantee that he's not Fernando Rodney at that point. So, I don't know if he hadn't played for the Braves before. I wonder how much the fan
2: sentiment would have been that he needed to come back. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would definitely agree. I, uh, I I didn't think that Craig Kimbrell would was. Craig Kimbrell last year. He just didn't look the same on the mound. The velocity was still close, but it was kind of everything else. And that does tend to break down, especially when you throw as hard as he does and you throw as violently as he does. He would have definitely been the best member of this bullpen. Um, but that's not to say that he would be worth that type of money. Now you can argue about, you know, money is money. And if the Braves aren't spending it anywhere else, why not spend it there? And that that's a fair argument up to a point. Um, I, I guess the the main totality of the entire thing is it comes down to being aggressive versus being – I don't want to say cheap. So being aggressive versus being safe, aggressive and cautious. You don't want to get yourself locked into something that you know is is a bad investment. Like every every deal you sign with somebody that is over 27 most likely is a diminishing return. Most likely that player will not be as good going forward once you get into the third, fourth, fifth year of that contract. Like Baseball players have a a peak of probably from about age 28, usually up until about age 32. Those four years are kind of like the sweet spot. Anything after those, you generally start seeing diminishing returns. Um, Some players peak earlier, and some people weirdly peak later but for the most part those four years are what you're looking at for a guy like craig who's got a lot of innings on that arm and that's a lot of high velocity high torque on that arm he is most definitely on the miguel cabrera track to his career
3: that's true i mean how old was Kimber when he came up 20 21
2: 21 i believe
3: yeah and even even for a reliever you know that was that was a long time ago. Craig Kimbrell is not, like, an old man by any means as, as far as, like, just life goes. But as far as being being a closer, you're right. That's a lot of innings. That's a lot of velocity. And, you know, the effectiveness is going to generally start to wane. That's just kind of the way things go. But, I don't know. He was he was not the one true answer. It's, it's not like he was going to show up and step in and all of the problems are going to be solved. You still have... Dan Winkler, who, who's floating meatballs at 91. You know, you still have uh, Jerry Blevins, effective as he has been in that loogie role. You know, he's also not only sticking in that loogie role. So, you know, there, there's there's still work to be done. And the, and even, whether it's Kimbrel or Keichel, or um, if you just get one guy at the trade deadline, like if you go out and you get Marcus Stroman, well, I mean, that's not going to that'll solve one issue over here in the starting rotation, but it's not going to solve the bullpen. And if you go and get, you know, Ken Giles, then that'll solve some of the bullpen, but it's not going to solve the, the rotation or whatever. So Kimbrel, Kimbrel's a fine player. And and I, I wish him the best in Chicago. I think we all do. But, you know, we can talk all day about, like, the Braves should have signed Kimbrel, but they didn't. It's over now. You know what I mean? And all, all we can do is just say it's it's a missed opportunity, but but it's over. And I'm kind of glad because the first four words, when I saw the Craig Kimbrell sign were, Oh man. And then, Oh, thank God, you know, like there's, there's positives and negatives to, to both sides of it.
2: Absolutely. I'm just kind of glad the saga is over. I really did think he would end up a brave, but I don't think it's like a gigantic loss. I don't think that he's a, t- I don't think, I don't know if that I'd consider him. He's not a top five closer. Uh, he might not even be a top 10 closer anymore. We'll see how he, how he fares the rest of this year. Um, but Moving on from that, I did tease something last week that we didn't have time to talk about there. We kind of don't have time to talk about it here, but I'm going to force the issue. Um, Johan Camargo. We 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 talked about him last week just barely. Uh, his name is starting to get floated around in uh, trade discussions with, with fan bases and uh, as a potential guy to get sent down in the effect that they want to bring Ender back up. Uh, you had mentioned last week, and it almost got my dander ruffled a little bit about, uh, last year being a fluke for him, um, and I, I think I think right now is a fair time to talk about Camargo and what's going on with him.
3: Just to clarify, I, and and I was not necessarily implying that that I think that what he was doing was just a. I think the the term I used was a flash in the pan. I was saying we're we're um, we don't. Let me see. How can I say this? I don't necessarily think that it was a fluke. I don't think it was all luck based. But I think he kind of got a raw deal with what happened. But I think um, I think the front office might have thought that there was a little bit more luck involved than anybody as a fan would kind of like to. And he hasn't really had the opportunity to disprove that. Because even with the idea that he was going to step in and be that super utility guy, you saw this with the Phillies last year where they just kept tweaking and moving guys around and you know Scott Kingery's playing second base now he's in center field and now he's at first okay well you know that and not only is he moving or were these guys moving around in the field and moving around in the lineup baseball players love routine they love uh showing up at the yard every day and knowing where they're gonna stand where they're gonna bat all of these different things and Camargo because of his positional versatility is it Brian Snicker is not Joe Madden. He's not Gabe Kapler. He's not like a perpetual tinkerer. So the super utility thing was kind of doomed from the start, which is too bad, but it kind of is what it is. And Austin Riley, I've, I've, I'm going to kick this over to you because I know you have a lot of thoughts on this, but I also have an opinion that Austin Riley ruined the entire super utility experiment. So back to you, Dylan. Go ahead.
2: Okay, well, so the Austin Riley thing, uh, you're obviously keeping him in the lineup every single day. Um, I don't think I don't think that had any effect or it should not have had any effect on the super utility thing because there's still five other positions that Camargo could play to give people days off. And that's the thing. And, and you brought about Snicker not being Joe Madden. And that's the thing. And, and I don't want to just bad talk Snicker here, but the guys just like there, there's a disconnect between him and Alex and, and the way that they view the game. Like when you when you look at the Cubs, what they do with Chris Bryant, what they do with Hobby Vaez, like that's what honestly what they do with Albert Almora Jr. He plays all three outfield positions. Uh, what they would do with Ian Happ when he was still you know, able to to semi connect with a baseball, like that's what people envision when you talk about super utility, a guy like Ben Zobrist who can literally play any position on the field. It's not about your your right to call in. Gabe Kapler into question. It's not really about the positional place. It's more lineup based. When hitters are in the same position in the lineup then they can start to to see the same type of pitches on a sort of routine basis and it allows them to get into a rhythm. Camargo has had no opportunity this year to get into any sort of rhythm because his playing time has been sporadic and unpredictable. That's the failing on the part of of the Braves and more so in Brian Snicker. It's like Camargo's not having a good year by any stretch. He's only hitting like two eight or 219. Uh, he, he's like a neg- He's like a 33 rated, uh, weighted runs graded plus. It, it, it just hasn't worked out. And it's, it's A lot of it has to do with his particular swing. His swing and his setup is so incredibly timing-based, keeping the bat on his shoulder before he lifts it and goes into his load. You're facing guys that throw really hard, and he's got a big leg kick in there as well. That, a lot of that is is going to be timing-based, and, and you need to be on time for that type of swing to be effective. For that, for him to be on time, though he needs playing time, we've seen the kind of rut that Markakis has been in. We've seen that Ozzy's been struggling. He might be coming out of it now, but he's been struggling lately. And yet, Snicker cannot seem to find it in himself to give somebody a day off, despite the fact that he saw this exact same story a season ago, and we all know how it ends,
3: no doubt. And and that's kind of what I mean, like the the about the super utility thing for Camargo being almost doomed from the start, you know. Uh, he's a step down at defense at every single position. You know what I mean? He's st- just because he can play somewhere. You know, like he's not as good at short as Dansby. He's not as good at second as Albies, He's not as good and right as Markakis. Is not to say that he's bad, but you're dealing with big league guys. With with Riley and Camargo and left, that is probably a push. But the difference is Riley's bat. Like you said, you can't take him out of the lineup. And that was one of the spots where he was seeing kind of the most time out there. But you're not going to sit Riley right now. I mean, unless maybe maybe you sit Donaldson and move Riley to third and give Camargo a start and left. But you also have other guys to entertain as well. Like, this is what makes Culberson so special is that the the time on the bench, somehow it doesn't phase him. He can still come in and he'll just knock a triple in the right center like like it's nothing and and Camargo is it's just a bit of a different story for him. So unfortunate absolutely. Could we have seen this coming? Well, of course we could.
2: I'm here to say Charlie Culberson should not see regular playing time over Camargo. Like the difference between those two is the difference between a, a regular utility player like Culberson and a super utility like what you envision Camargo is. Charlie is your perfect off-the-bench guy because he does well in his first AB. He's really good at ambushing stuff. He takes a lot of pitches. Uh, The more he plays, though, on a game-to-game basis, generally the worse he starts to perform. Uh, And again, I, I don't want this to seem too overly critical, but I am being critical here. If you don't have a manager that can correctly use the pieces that he's given, then you're already working against yourself like you're already taking away wins from yourself and, and this is not just because I like Camargo and because I think that Camargo is an outstanding player and I want to see him play more but he was a three and a half war guy last year with all of the underlying numbers showing that it wasn't a fluke was it peak of his performance I don't know the fact of the matter is we have not seen enough to be able to tell if it was peak performance we were supposed to be able to find something out this year when we keep saying that they're going to use him like Martin Prado but they just for whatever reason, your manager will not will not submit to it, and he's got to do something because you're going to get into the second half of this year, and nobody's had any time off. Freddie's had one game off. Marquegas has had three days off. Ozzy's probably had three days off total. Like it, it's maddening to me that it takes an injury to ender Enciarte. For the Braves to even figure out that hey, you can swap other players in and out. Ender and who had not been able to hit lefties or anybody all season long, and yet he was getting at bats every single day. I don't know what else you can, what else can be said to Snicker to to capsize on this, but you're not going to get Camargo fixed by giving him one AB a day. Like you either need to use him as trade bait to a team that wants to use him every day, maybe. Maybe even send him down if you're not going to give him regular A.B. Send him down to get his timing right. Do something. But they, you you can't keep going as it is.
3: And that's and that's fair. I mean, apparently the the Marlins asked for him in the offseason for Real Muto. He was apparently one of the it, – it, that actually just depends on uh, what you believe and who you talk to. I, he was one of the names that, according to Craig Mish, who was the one who actually wound up having his finger on the pulse for that, the, that was apparently uh, one of the guys that the Marlins were interested in. Uh, but you know, if you send him down, he does, he does have options and and you, you hate to lose that versatility because even if he's not as good at any of those positions, uh, defensively, and if he's a step down with the bat, we still like the guy and, and you never, there, there's a human being that's involved with that. You know, there's a whole story that goes along with being a major leaguer for, uh, for two years and having to get sent back down because you're being viewed as defective by a lot of people and you never want to see that, but you know, we're trying to win a freaking world series here. And you know, that's, if he's not helping then, and you really think that a version of him that would help the team win would benefit from two weeks of going down to Gwinnett. I mean, you look at what's going on with a guy like AJ mentor where, you know, they, it's like, he's down there. The pressure is off a little bit. He's getting a chance to, to pitch in a little more high leverage situations. And he's starting to thrive again last night, notwithstanding. Um, you know, then maybe that's something that you do, and you, you you hope that the the mental aspect of it doesn't just completely crush him, or he doesn't harbor some type of really bad feelings for the team. But you know, there's just kind of not a place for him to be starting regularly right now, and and it's too bad. It really is too bad.
2: I don't know. I, that's that's one of those things that I'm just going to continue to to be a little bit annoyed about the fact that you can't understand that people need days off, especially at 35 years old, but I don't want to end it on a bad note. So I do want to say congratulations to one Trey Harris for being named an all-star at at the Sally league in Rome and simultaneously getting promoted to uh, Florida on the same day. Also congratulations to Grayson Janista who gets the call up as along with William Contreras who both get called up to double a William Contreras got called up yesterday. I believe and uh, Janista gets the call-up today.
3: Yeah, that, uh, that, that Mississippi team is um, that's loaded. Well, that's, that's the roster that in five years you look back at and go, how did they have all of these guys on the same team? Like the 2016 Rome team. That's like a who's who of minor league prospects. And uh, so now you've got 11 of the top 27 guys. It's Pache and Ian Anderson, Waters, uh, Kyle Muller, Joey Wentz, Tucker Davidson, Thomas Burroughs, uh, Grayson Genista. I mean, and that doesn't even take into account Jeremy Walker, who's not ranked in the top 30 somehow, but that guy is like, he's going to get promoted to Gwinnett soon. And I think that, that Muller and Pache, I think that, that their time is, is coming as well. But for now.
2: Put some respect on Jaseel De La Cruz's name, son.
3: That That's that's right. i I, I dropped off, and I, I also, uh, I left off Ray Patrick Ditter, uh, R.P. Diddy, uh, Deserves all of the, uh, the accolades that we can muster for him. So, um, you know, and Jaseal started the season in Rome. He's already been promoted twice. So uh, that's that's a good looking team. You know, we talked about the waves, and that's that wave is coming too.
2: It most certainly is. We're out of time for the first segment, so we're going to go ahead and take a break here. When we come back, it's going to be all draft as we bring on one of the most knowledgeable people involved in the MLB draft. Stick around with us through the break. We'll be right back here on the Platinum Sombrero. This week's
1: episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by the Happy Beginnings Massage Parlor. Let's face it, life is hard, and sometimes you just don't have any time to waste. So here at Happy Beginnings, you can come right in and get down to business. We'll get you in and out lickety-split. If life's got you by the balls, we can too. We can help you release your stress and then some. And if you're feeling overextended, our service can't be beat. Afraid to ask? Don't be. Don't beat around the bush. That's our job. Stop in today for a good old-fashioned rubdown. If you need it, we'll need it. We've even been bestowed with the highest possible honor, the Robert Kraft Seal of Approval. Happy beginnings, because who's got time to wait for a happy ending? Patent pending. You gotta keep them separated.
2: Welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero, everybody. Brought to you by our good friends over at SeatGeek. Wanting to let you know about SeatGeek's outstanding app all their fantastic prices the great business model that they're running if you ever need a a ticket to a game a concert whatever it is SeatGeek has you covered with their with their patented system where they can tell you how good your seat is by running an algorithm across all of the other ticket websites they can let you know if it's a good seat a bad seat or whatever they can even let you know if the price is a fair price or not also when you're selling your seats if you sell with SeatGeek they can tell you how much would be a fair margin to charge for that seat SeatGeek makes everything easy especially with their patented app, makes finding the perfect ticket an easy, breezy experience. And if you use our promo code ACAA at the checkout, I should mention, they'll give you $20 off your first purchase. It's like two beers at a ballpark. That's not cheap money right there. Remember, use the promo code ACAA and get $20 off your first purchase. Geek, life's an event, and we have the tickets. All right, so as I mentioned at the end of the first segment there, We've got a very, very strong guest for today. You may recognize him with perfect hair if you've been paying attention to the MLB draft over the last three days or so. Carlos Collazo coming in today
0: to grant us some
2: of his experience. Carlos, thanks so much for coming on.
0: Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Let's talk some Braves draft man. It's gonna be fun.
3: So you're not just the the talking chop alumnus. You are also the TPS alumnus. We we were able to, to lucky enough to get you on last year right after the draft. So. Uh, this is uh, this is becoming a yearly tradition, and, and one that I'm really in favor of. So glad you're able to take the time.
2: I got to ask first before we get into anything else, man. How do you keep your hair so perfect through three days and what seemed like twenty
0: straight hours of draft? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know. That's just kind of how I always do it, man. I, I honestly don't put much thought into it. I'm not like all these uh, these other guys on the broadcast who are who are always on TV and looking crisp. So I just kind of show up and uh, let them do whatever they want to me, and then trying to talk about players i i don't give it a ton of thought i think it's i think it's a pretty average tool at best
3: (laughs) (laughs) you still got some projection there though
0: (laughs) oh i appreciate it
2: Now being one of the youngest guys on the team doing that being one of the youngest guys being the face of the mlb draft we've talked about it before that you're kind of young for for the business to be in the the spotlight of it like you are it's got to be insane right
0: Yeah, I think it definitely was last year, kind of just the first year I was doing it, new to everything, didn't know what's going on. I mean, standing next to a guy like Jim Callis trying to break break players down when he's been doing it for like 20, 25 years, something like that. I mean, basically, as long as I've been alive, it's it's definitely daunting. Uh, I think this year I was much more kind of comfortable and in my own element. And like, once you think about it, really, like I've been watching these players the entire year and especially the guys who were talking about um on the broadcast on day one I mean it's it's hard not to know about those guys because you've been talking with scouts about them for a full year at this point so if I don't know them then I just haven't been doing my job but uh it it definitely is always a rush and I always get a little bit nervous before I'm about to like be on camera talking about a player but um that kind of makes it exciting and and uh makes it challenging as well
2: we're not going to waste a lot of time there was a lot of scuttlebutt that this could get into being a a really crazy draft early on Mm -hmm. um maybe the craziest part of the draft was the fact that it did not get crazy at all until like
0: what the 20s Yeah, i think pick 27 was the first pick that was really kind of a little bit off the board but yeah everyone pretty much just lied to us uh, no, but uh it, it definitely it definitely went I mean pretty much as we expected. I remember sitting at at one point, I think we we're in like pick 22, 23, somewhere in that range, and me and Jim look over at each other and we we're like, this was supposed to get weird and then and, and pretty much everything that's happened makes complete sense. All the players that have gone or at least rumored in this range or with this team. Obviously I think me and Jim both got nine out of the first ten players right in the mock. I think we we flipped on the Braves and the Giants picks. Jim got uh, Langoliers to the Braves accurately, and I got Bishop to the Giants. But yeah, I mean, it went went pretty much as everyone thought. I had one late conversation um, with the scout the night before the draft, and he was like, honestly, like everyone every single year talks about how crazy it's going to get. He's like, I feel like it's just that time of year where the rumors start flying around and people kind of psych themselves out. So maybe that was the case. Maybe the board just went as everyone wanted and teams could describe the guys that they were expecting to get to them, I don't know. But um, I'm glad it wasn't as wild as, as there were rumors about it being because uh, the mock draft looks better after the fact for it. So I'll take it.
3: Well, for as many of those, those early picks as you guys nailed, I, the, the Braves really were kind of the first one to throw the wild card. They kind of it, it wasn't a, a big reach necessarily with with Shea Langoliers, but they – after the after the first seven, everyone from Rutschman to Ladolo, you could pretty much see coming. Uh, there were rumors about the Rangers cutting the underslot deal with Josh Young. So how did you feel about that Langoliers pick? Did you think that it was much of a reach? Did you feel like it was kind of right in the range where he needed to be?
0: No, I think that's the right range. I don't think it was a reach at all. A the, uh, the few hours before, I had heard that, that their three players were Langoliers, uh, Jackson Rutledge, and Alec Manoa. Um, those are the three that I had heard. Uh, I went with Rutledge just because I'd heard a lot of chatter about it beforehand. But I think that that spot fits perfectly for Langlier's talent. I feel like Langlier's, um, he hasn't been talked about as, as much as a top 10 talent because of the injury that he had early on in the season. But I think uh, kind of before the season started and before he missed a few weeks, we had him as a no doubt top 10 talent. I mean, his defensive skills stack up with anyone in the country, arguably better than Adley Rushman defensively which is a great starting point but uh, I again the bat is very solid it's a it's an above average or, or solid average hit tool uh, he had a down year as a sophomore but he hit it as a freshman he's hit in wood bat uh, with team USA last summer he hit exceptionally well this spring considering he was coming back from a broken handmate um, and he's gonna have solid average power as well so I mean if everything goes right for him and it's an all-star caliber player I think people are a little light on Langaliers, and uh, I don't I don't think it's a reach at all
2: and that was actually going to be my next question because Langelier seems to be one of those kind of controversial picks. You either believe in the bat mm-hmm. or you don't. The defense yeah. is is there. If it weren't for Adley Rutschman, he obviously would have been the top catcher in the class. I've been a little yeah. bit lower on his bat. I'm not really particularly fond of his bat path. No, granted, things can mm-hmm. change. But uh, to hear you say that, that you do think that there's at least average power in there is good because mm-hmm. there, there's a high floor in there which kind of looked like the measure of the first round for the Braves. Um when your floor is major league player, whether it's a, a backup or a platoon starter, and that's your floor, then that's a pretty good sign. The the bat is always going to be my worry with him.
0: Yeah, and I think that's fair. Um, but I do think that there is some more upside than people are going to give him credit for, and it'll be interesting to see how he does. But he's got really good balance at the plate. He's got a good feel for uh, the strike zone. Even when he struggled with the bat, he still got on base at a decent clip because he has a very good feel for what's a strike and what's not. Um, so I think he's just a very solid player all around, and and sometimes when you talk about these players who have a, a high floor, people automatically assume that there's not a lot of upside. But I don't think he's one of those players where that's the case. Well,
3: and I think I think as well for for as much as people had fallen in love with the uh, with the Brian Bridges drafts and all the the real the real sexy picks, you know, I think I think that there was a lot of trepidation coming into this draft about Dan, Dana Brown people. People came to love Brian, and what they see out of Dana Brown is that he's just Anthopolis' guy, but the reason he's Anthopolis' guy is because he has a track record of, of drafting major leaguers, he has a track record of drafting all-stars, so I think that's what, where a lot of the, the kind of hate for this pick came from, is because, it, like you said, just because somebody has a high floor, you know, it looks like a safe pick, but that's not to say that there's not a lot of upside there.
0: Yeah. I think rightfully so. People were excited about Brian Bridges' drafts. I mean, he's excellent at what he does, and there's a reason he got uh, picked up pretty quickly with the Giants whenever the Braves let him go. I mean, and I do think from, like, just a casual, like, if you don't follow the draft closely and you see some of the players that are picked, the high school players in the first round are almost always more exciting than the college players because they're the really toolsy, high upside guys. But if you look at where the industry is going, teams are not drafting high school players at a rate they used to. Uh, I think this year, and we're going to write more about this at BaseballAmerica.com, but this year there are more college players drafted at a higher percentage than, than ever before. So um, more teams are going to kind of these analytical model-based drafts, uh, and I think you saw the Braves definitely do that on day one with some of the picks that they made before going to some more traditional scouty type picks after that. But that's kind of where the industry is going, um, and when when kind of the success rate, points to college players as being the smart picks. You're going to get more teams uh, picking from that pool of players.
2: This is the second time that Alex and Dana Brown have actually have drafted Langlers. I believe they took him in the 30, 34th round in 2016 before he, mm. before he decided to forego and go to Baylor. So not all that shocking that they went for him again. When you look at the fact that he did get better uh, in college, This the, mm. the pick at 21 was, was a little bit more of a curveball for me. I ha- actually had Braden Schumach as a guy that I was looking at for Atlanta early on in the season about a month ago. Mm-hmm. It, it just seemed like an odd pick with Logan Davidson still on the board. Maybe maybe I'm a little bit crazy there, but I, I didn't have Braden Schumach in the first round.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's crazy at all to think that. I was, I think, actually kind of looking over the first round right now. I said, uh, 27 originally was kind of the first off the board pick. and I don't think Shoemaker is an off the board pick by any means. We had him kind of in the back of the first round range, uh, on our rankings throughout the year. I think he ended up right at 27. So we had him as a first round talent. Um, we expect, or at least I did expect Logan Davidson to come off the board before that. Like you mentioned, uh, he's a college shortstop as well. And the tools with him are just a little bit more exciting than shoemakes. I think, um, but again, like if you're going, if, if you are using a model and maybe it's a more like statistically a statistically thought out process, then Shoemaker is a guy who has always hit well and he's hit well against better competition and he's hit well with a, with a wood bat. And Logan Davidson has some question marks there. So it's a safer pick than Logan Davidson in the sense that you have more conviction in the bat. Um, but I also think there's less upside here than with a guy like Davidson. Um, he's a utility type. I don't think he's going to be an everyday shortstop. Uh, I've talked to some guys who think he can play second, maybe he plays third. Some people think he could be a good center fielder because he's a good runner for his size. Um, but again, shoemaker, I mean, he's a guy who maybe taps into some more power. He's always been kind of a, a lanky, lean player who who scouts have just been waiting for him to add some weight and uh, transfer some of that hitting ability into some more in-game power. That hasn't happened to this point. Uh, maybe that's something that'll happen either in a pro development system, or maybe it just is a matter of him hitting major league balls. Um, but it's an interesting pick. I don't think it's a bad one by any means, um, but a little a little unexpected, I would say.
2: My one big thing with him would be if he doesn't access any power, then at the high end you're looking at DJ LeMahieu, which is fine. LeMahieu's a good player. Um, mm-hmm. just just seemed a little odd at 21. Now, when you look at what they did on day three, which we'll get to in a minute, it, like, it makes a little bit more sense. Um, but I think the pick that everybody in Braves country, with the exception of maybe my partner uh, and a few, few other select guys were really up in arms about, myself included, <laughs> was number 60, Bo Phillip, uh, I, mm-hmm. I I did not like that pick at 60. I did not <laughs> understand it uh, for a guy that you yourself have to say, hey, there's a fallback option. He might end up on the mound. That That's fine mm-hmm. to take later, but I did not hear a single thing about Bo Phillip at all.
0: You're saying you didn't hear anything about him prior to the draft?
2: Uh, prior to the draft, I, I watched a couple games and he didn't stand out to me at all during mm-hmm. during the games. He's got decent enough hands and he and he's definitely got the arm yeah. for short. But even so, yeah. he, like Caden Grenier was their shortstop a year ago. You looked at Caden Grenier and you're like, all right, he's a shortstop. Mm-hmm. I, I looked at Bo Phillips like, all right, he's playing short, but it didn't it didn't look the same fluidity. I guess I'll say,
0: yeah, no, I think he could definitely be a shortstop. I mean, we had him ranked well below where he was taken. Obviously, we had him as the number. 254 prospect on our board so obviously and, and again it's very easy to like look at where different industry boards and public boards have a player ranked and say okay this isn't a great pick but obviously teams uh all teams boards are different so maybe they uh they like him a lot higher than that they clearly do but they wouldn't have taken him there but um he's an interesting player i think it's a lighter bat but he's got some defensive skills i mean replacing Caden grenier at shortstop is always going to be a tall task but uh, talking to some people who watched him and into uh, and their coaching staff. It sounds like he really did a good job um, filling those shoes. I think he moves well side to side. Like you said, he's got a fantastic arm. Um, and he's a, he's a pretty good runner. He, he sold quite a few bases prior to moving over to Oregon state um, at Sandro Joaquin Delta junior college. So, I mean, there's some things to like here, but again, we thought he was more of a day two talent. So um, if you want to get upset about it, that's fine. But um Last year, the Twins had a, had a player who was a little bit off the board in Ryan Jeffers. Uh, we all thought that was a bit of a reach as well, and he's gone out and hit really well and kind of proven the Twins right. So maybe that'll be the case with both, Phillip. As you guys know, it's very tough to really grade a draft the day after or a few days after. Just kind of have to see what they do. But um, for us, for sure, a little bit off the board.
3: So when you're looking at the, the day one picks, Langoliers looks like he's probably going to wind up being about slot. Is that right? Maybe a little bit under?
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know any reason why he would be a significant deal cut for the team. I mean, again, he was a top 10 talent by us prior to the season, moved down into kind of the middle of the teens uh, with his injury. And then as soon as he got back, he started hitting and and we kind of pushed him right back into that spot. I think we actually rated him number nine, uh, which is where he was taken. Yeah, he was our ninth prospect. So I I don't know why he would take much of a discount. Um, if I'm Shane I'm I'm not going to try and take a discount there. Um, you never know. I, I don't know how much how much you're saving with Shoemaker as well. Because again, we thought he was the back of the first talent. And while it was a little bit sooner than we expected, it's kind of in that range where it makes sense. Um, with Phillip, that is a guy who I would assume they're going to save some money with. Or else, I don't know why you just don't wait for day two to make that pick.
3: And, and I think that, that once, you know, by the end of day one, that that, that left a, a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. But but you start seeing what they were doing when they're taking Michael Harris in uh, in the third round, you know, you and uh, all all the way down from rounds three through ten, you start seeing a lot of these guys that you know they didn't dip their their toe into the senior signs at all. They're not shooting for saving money on that. It looked like they're legitimately trying to add real deal prospects all the way down the board. So
0: you see, yeah, they were one of two teams that didn't have a senior sign. I think the Tigers were the only other team that didn't have a. Uh... A senior sign in the top 10 rounds. So that's always fun to see. It's a, it's kind of annoying uh, when you see a ton of these senior signs in the top 10 rounds. I get it. But yeah, it is nice that the Braves kind of avoided that route.
3: Well, of those day two picks, um, did you see anybody that really kind of jumped out to you as being somebody um, who's a, a really good value pick uh, relative to where they were taken or kind of feeding into this strategy of maybe taking that Philip money and, and pushing that money around a little bit?
0: No, I mean, there's no guy who I was like, oh, wow, like I, I can't believe they got this player at this spot. I mean, maybe that's a Ricky DeVito because he was a guy who was taken was in the eighth round, I believe, for them. Yeah, at Seton Hall. So we had him ranked uh, quite a bit higher than than where he went. So maybe that's the guy you point to. Um, he didn't have the, the best year ever, but he's got pretty good stuff. Uh, we thought of him as like a, an early day two kind of pick got a fastball in the low 90s solid three pitch mix i mean he's a guy who has some athleticism and some delivery tweaks needed that i think is perfect for the brave system uh you mentioned michael harris uh, he's definitely a high upside play uh, i'm curious where they're going to have him kind of start his career I, I think i've talked to some cal- scouts who uh see his sc- ceiling higher on the mountain as a pitcher he's got a lot of athleticism he's a lefty he's been up until in, like 93 and he still has some uh Some room to fill out and add strength on the mound. He shows some natural feel to spin the breaking ball. Uh, But he's also a plus runner and has some back-to-ball skills. And I think he prefers hitting, so it'll be interesting to see where they run him out. Do they let him do the two-way thing? Do they let him uh, hit first and see if that'll work out? And then use pitching as a fallback. That's an interesting one. Uh, And I think there's some upside there with Michael Harris.
2: I think my favorite pick, it might be my favorite pick total of the Braves draft, And it could just be because uh, there's very hard to find any video on him. But Stephen Paulini, a guy mm-hmm. that wasn't on any of the boards, and he came from a very small high school in Connecticut. It looked like, um, yeah. But just watching what you see on video from him, he's got that body type that that I'm enamored with that 6'1", 6'2", that one hundred eighty pound type frame that looks like you can have mm-hmm. speed and power. Looks like a very clean swing. Have Have you been able to find out anything more about him in the past two days?
0: Yeah, Paulini was a huge mystery when he was off the board. Um, I, don't, I don't think many people had much on him. I reached out to some scouts. I was like, hey, what's the deal with this guy? Because, again, he was completely off the board for us. Uh, and, and I heard that not many teams were on this kid at all. He was an Elon commit. I talked to their coaches, and uh, they ex- kind of expected him to get onto campus up until about a week ago think the braves are one of only a handful of maybe two or three teams that were on him um but he's an upside guy he's a plus runner he's got some athleticism chance to be a center fielder um he's got some power potential you said like his frame uh we have enlisted six to 195 uh but he could definitely add some more strength he's got a very aggressive swing um so i i honestly don't know a ton about him um, but the Braves clearly saw something that they liked. He has some, some tools to, to get excited about and some athleticism. I think the amount of conviction you have in his hit tool is probably the difference maker, um, whereas most teams seem to be content to let him go to college. The Braves um, must have thought that his swing was either more ready for pro ball or they could uh, do, do a couple tweaks to get it ready for pro ball. So that'll be a very interesting one to see kind of how he pans out.
3: It's always kind of funny to see Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo exchanging glances like, hey, have you ever even heard of this guy before? You know, it's, it's very rare uh, to to see those two get stumped on, on the actual day of. Uh, Polini wound up getting taken in the fifth round. I'm curious about the fourth round pick, the one who was taken just before him, uh, Casey Kalich, because a, a lot of these guys were were JUCO guys, a lot of project guys that, that don't have experience in power conferences. Kalich went out and was striking out 14 and a half per nine, didn't have a really exorbitant walk rate, and he was doing it in the SEC. So uh, does he kind of fit that profile of a fast-moving reliever?
0: Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. He was a transfer out of junior college, but like you said, he he kind of transferred in and did it well in a power conference, but he's got a fastball that gets up to 98. Uh, His main secondary offering is a slider. It's a very firm, kind of tight, maybe cutter-looking pitch in the upper 80s. Uh, so it's mostly two pitches for him, and I think he does profile as a reliever, and those are generally the types that you kind of expect or, or hope move quickly through the minor league system. And and anytime you get a power pitch like that in the Braves player development system, I think you should be able to get excited as a fan, uh, considering what they've done with some of these arms. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that big guy, I mean, looking at the guys in front of him, I think Langley I think Langleyers and shoemaker both could, could be quicker movers as kind of their college performance um just looking at that and looking at how well they, they did in college and how advanced they are as hitters, those two and, and Kalich all can be pretty quick movers and uh, considering where the Braves are at, maybe that's what you want.
2: All right. Day two was a little bit better than day one, as far as finding upside guys, but day three, it looks like the Braves went full on with their scouts and let their scouts kind of tell them who to take fun. Mm-hmm. Von Grissom is the guy that I want to focus on. Von Grissom is a guy that I really, really liked what I see. The, yeah. the tools there, again, the, the body profile, uh, the, the swing profile, the, the arm, actually, I really enjoyed watching the video on his arm. Mm-hmm. What are the chances he actually signs and, and doesn't, go, uh, doesn't go to college?
0: Yeah, I think if you, take, if you take a player in the 11th round, you generally feel pretty good about signing him. That's the range where... You kind of take some of these higher upside, riskier types. Or at least in general, that's what the industry seems seems to have done. um I mean, Blaze Alexander is a guy last year who was popping the 11th round, and people were like, "Oh, is he going to sign? Is he going to sign?" Because we had him as like a top 100 prospect, uh, and he did end up signing. So I think if you do take a player in this round, you have a pretty good idea that he's going to sign. I mean, you have an entire night in the morning to figure out who you want to take with your first pick of day three. Uh, so taking a guy who who's not going to sign seems like. You're not doing your due diligence, so I would expect him to sign just because the Braves took him there. Um, and he's a guy who, who scouts saw plenty of this spring playing uh, high school baseball with Riley Green, who obviously went fifth overall. Grissom is a uh, he's a little bit of a split camp guy. Everyone saw him. Some teams like him a lot more than others. Uh, the people who do like him see a guy who has. Shortstop actions, but it's probably going to be a third baseman just because he's not the quickest guy side to side. He's got really good glove work and he's got good arm strength, as you mentioned, for the hot corner. I think as he fills out a bigger frame, he's a six foot three, around 180 pound guy right now. I think as he fills out that frame, it'll probably be a more natural fit for third base. Uh, he's got a pretty good bat, just pure ability to make contact and hit the ball hard. He does make hard contact consistently. I think it's a matter of kind of getting some more um getting some more depth into his swing and uh it it can get a little flat at times i guess is the one issue he doesn't elevate the ball as consistently as you would want for a guy of his frame who can hit the ball that hard so once you kind of teach him how to elevate that bat path and get the ball in the air i think you've got a chance to make some impact uh he does have really intriguing tools um whether or not he gets enough power to profile at the position if he does move to third will be the question but uh i would definitely be excited about him and especially in the 11th round, I think that's a, that's a very fun pick.
3: In the 13th round, they wound up going for a guy named Tyler Owens. Uh, it kind of reminds me of J.B. Bakoskis a little bit, uh, who who pitched at uh, North Carolina and wound up getting drafted by the Astros. Um, I've seen conflicting reports. Some say that he's touched 95, but I think you said that he might have gone a little higher than that, like 97, 98. Is that right?
0: yeah i mean that's what we've gotten uh it's not like he sits in that range uh that's that's kind of what we heard from scouts was the highest they had seen him but if if the scouts out there have seen it i'm i'm pretty willing to believe them uh there's no reason for the scouts to to kind of make up numbers there so i mean he's a guy who i've who i've seen get up into the mid 90s i wouldn't be surprised Uh, he's always had a very quick arm throws the ball very hard for a guy who's 510 185 you mentioned the the Bukowskis comp, I think that's a solid one. I think Bukowskis is maybe a little bit more physical than Tyler Owens, uh, despite them being similarly like undersized from, from like a height standpoint. Um, but he doesn't have as much effort as you would expect from a little guy that's throwing that hard, so I think that's probably a good good sign moving forward just for injuries and everything, although who, who really knows uh, who's going to get injured or not. It seems like everyone does. Um, but he's got a slider that flashes the makings of a solid pitch, um, I think kind of developing that and turning that into more of an above-average pitch will let him get a little bit more out of it. Um, he's thrown a solid changeup at times, but like most of these high school kids, he needs to just throw it more. Um, he could be a very good reliever, and if he does kind of get the, uh, that third changeup, if, if he can turn that into a solid pitch, he can use consistently. Maybe you've got one of those unique undersized starting profiles. But um, again, a hard-throwing a hard prep pitcher with the Braves is always a good combination for me.
2: We got two picks from uh, from some listeners I wanted to get out of the way here, and one of them was actually was what I wanted to ask you myself from at Caleb underscore Cowbo, C-A-U-B-O. Uh, who's your top three day three picks from the Braves?
0: Top three day three picks, okay. I think the two we just mentioned would have to be in there um, just because of the upside of them is really exciting. Um, the, the third would probably either be it might be a Mackay Backstrom just because he's a guy that I've seen in person uh, and he has huge power. So he's a guy who, if you kind of uh, get a little bit more refined approach to the plate, maybe you get an impact bat out of him. Um, he, he has put up some like 100, 105, 110 exit velo numbers against really good competition in the summer showcase. He's six foot five two He's got good bat speed, um, but he's very raw. Uh, so I think you're looking at a guy who maybe spends a couple years in rookie ball or moves through the, through the minors slow. Uh, he's a below average runner. So you're not going to get a lot of value defensively. He might be limited to first base or a corner if you're lucky, but it's an exciting bat that has a lot of just raw power. So maybe that's my third one. Um, just kind of ha- looking over their list right now. I think those are three solid ones.
3: For any of these guys that a, uh, that are, um, on day three, the the common parlance that's floating around right now is that day had the chance to kind of save the draft in some people's eyes. As far as um, any of the money that they pushed down, uh, do you see any of these, you know, Grissom, like you said, probably will wind up, I and mean, he'll definitely be over slot, but um, do you think that uh, some of these guys that are uh, like Tyler Owens, like Backstrom, like Caden Morton, who they took in the 19th round, who is just kind of freakish athlete type. I mean, do you see any kind of slam dunk signings beyond that, or do you think that they're going to wind up losing some of these guys to college?
0: I mean, they'll definitely lose some, especially once you get down to the 30 to 40 range. Uh, A lot of those guys, although they did take a number of college players to start out that stretch, but like 35 through 40, uh, rare to see all those guys sign. Uh, It's hard to tell exactly who's going to sign, who's not going to sign, not knowing signability for all these guys. But I will say the Braves have been a team who in the past have have gotten – Really, they do a really good job of like finding out what the signability is going to be and getting guys uh, who you expect to go sooner to sign for for less than you would expect at a later pick. So I think that's something they have historically done a pretty good job about. Um, but again, once you get into the twenty plus range, hard to tell exactly who.
2: And from our buddy at Jacob Suttles One, which of the prospects do you think is the first one to make it to Atlanta?
0: Sorry, you went out a little bit. Which is the first prospect to make it to the majors?
2: Yeah, yeah, to play for Atlanta.
0: It's um, a good question. Uh, I mean, the Braves are pretty aggressive in general, So, but I would have I would been on one of these college guys. Probably one of the guys we talked about first, uh, whether that's a Kalich who just finds a... Uh, a root and a bullpen roll to the to the majors, or maybe Shoemaker just really handles the bat really well and and provides some defensive versatility. And you, maybe he's a guy who you could use in like a utility type role uh, if the Braves need another bat off the bench. Uh, they have a couple of good catchers obviously in the minors, so I'm curious how Langoliers will kind of be pushed alongside uh, with them. Um, but he's a guy who who I could see moving. Although generally I wouldn't pick a catcher just because there's there's so much more that catchers have to learn and kind of figure out um in in the pro game just as far as handling a pitching staff and game planning and things like that Uh, but i do think Shea is one of the one of these catchers who's advanced enough defensively that i think he's going to take to it pretty well one of those three take your pick
3: love it well carlos man i can't believe that we've had 30 minutes pass already i i really think that we could we could talk for for another two hours about this draft but thank you for taking the time out of your day to join us, man. I was going to make a joke about when can we expect to see the first mock draft and then it actually came for next year and it already came out today.
1: Yeah,
0: we're on top of it, man. We got it up there if you want to see. But yeah, no, it was fun chatting with you guys. I appreciate uh, you having me on. Uh, And I would just say that if you're a Braves fan and you're you're scared about this draft, don't be. Because, I mean, we look back in five years and I'm sure some of the classes who people are panning now, they're going to have a bunch of guys pop up that, we never really expected anything from that's just kind of how it works but we'll see
2: we will see indeed thank you so much carlos for taking the time to talk with us
0: yeah for sure take care guys
2: and that was carlos Colazzo make sure you guys are following him along everywhere he is the best in the business at what he does thank you guys so much for listening hope you guys enjoyed the episode you know where to find us we will be back next week right here on the platinum sombrero <laughs>
1: Okay, yeah, thanks, bye.